Alaska Federation of Natives convention is taking place in Anchorage. It's the largest annual gathering of Alaska Native people in the world. But over the last few years, both membership and leadership has changed. We're talking with Alaska Native leaders about what they hope for AFN's future and how they aim to meet the goals for their own tribal nations. That's all next on Alaska's Native Voice, right after the news. From the 2023 Alaska Federation of Natives Convention in Anchorage, Alaska, I'm Jill Freitas. After a year of planning, the guests have gathered and the table has been set for another Alaska Federation of Natives Convention, which will officially come to order at 9 this morning. The Kasigamute dancers from Bethel will welcome delegates today as they take their seats on the convention floor at the Denina Center in downtown Anchorage. After opening ceremonies and speeches, the convention will hear from two keynote speakers this morning, Sophie Minnick, President and CEO of the Siri Native Corporation, and Ryan Reddington, champion of this year's Iditarod. This is the 57th annual AFN convention. This year's theme is Our Ways of Life, which will explore the subsistence lifestyles in communities across the state and how Alaska Natives are blending their culture and traditions to address today's challenges. Get Out the Native Boat efforts are underway this week in Anchorage as people from across the state gather downtown for the AFN convention. Michelle Spark is the director of Get Out the Native Vote, a statewide nonprofit, nonpartisan voter education group. She says one area they're focusing on is rural communities. Rural uh, village precincts with native, native populations did not vote at all, either in August or in uh, November. So we're here to make sure that the staffing happens, that there's less barriers to voting when it comes to an election day, and that our vote counts in the end. Spark says they're gearing up for 2024. Next year is the presidential elections, 2024. We have a congressional race, and we also have uh, 40 House, uh, House representatives. Their seats are up, too. So next year is uh, an election of consequence. As much as I like to say every election matters, next year is a presidential elections, and we really hope that the villages are on notice and that we have enough lead time to educate the public about what we're facing with open primaries, with ranked choice voting, and then what we're going to get in the end. The theme for this year's annual Elders and Youth Conference that was held at the Denina Center in downtown Anchorage, Alaska was Let It Be That We All Heal Each Other. In a room off to the side on the third floor was an energy healing room equipped with beds for meditation and gentle massage, as well as acupuncture sponsored by the South Central Foundation. One of the people in attendance was George Hawley at the Baskin from Soldatna. He came to the Elders and Youth Conference to promote healing with multi-faith daily prayers at dawn. About four years ago at Elders and Youth, a group of indigenous Baha'i friends from all over Alaska proposed that dawn belongs to all and that the earth turns and humbles itself before the sun each day and we can do that too. And the elders and youth conference was so open to it. We had a fire and folks were attracted to be able to have that kind of expression again. And it's been going since, so this is its fifth year. 
Another passion of Holly's is language revitalization. He says when it comes to healing, speaking her native language brings back cultural identity. I feel that you know our languages are able to give us insights to our identity and that on the way that that acceptance of that love, that courage and those wisdoms that are within our language, I believe been given to us by our creator. Naomi Michelson is from Ketchikan. For 10 years, she worked for a domestic violence shelter, but found it hard to balance her personal life and her job. Still wanting to advocate for domestic violence victims, she took a different approach. I took some time off and started a business called Passe Indigenous Foodways. And my hope and goal is to help people reconnect back to the land and to each other. I'm passionate about helping people and uh, including myself uh, with healing and um, our families and our communities. Michelson's approach on using food for healing goes hand in hand with this year's Alaska Federation of Natives Convention theme, Our Ways of Life, by exploring the subsistence lifestyles and communities in the state and how using culture and traditions can help address today's challenges. In Anchorage, I'm Jill Freitas. The AFN Newscast is produced by KMBA and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with support from the Atwood Foundation, ConocoPhillips, Manilik Association, South Central Foundation, Chalista Corporation, Rasmussen Foundation, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Donlin Gold, the Siri Foundation, and ExxonMobil. This is a production of KMBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service. Welcome to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm Antonia Gonzalez from the Denina Center in Anchorage. The Alaska Federation of Natives is the largest representative organization of Alaska Natives in the world. But over the past few years, it's been changing in structure and leadership. And today, we're discussing what the future could look like. And we have a group of tribal leaders here with us from the northernmost state. And joining me today is Elizabeth Medicine Crow, the outgoing president of First Alaskans Institute. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, we also have Bev Hoffman, a Bethel Native Corporation board director, tribal member, and a longtime advocate for people and in the state's Women's Hall of Fame. Welcome. Oh, yeah, good morning. <laughs> and... We have Willie Hensley, an Alaska Native leader, a former state legislator, and the first AFN co-chair. Welcome, Willie. Thank you. Good to be here. Well, Willie, why don't you start us off? Tell us what is AFN and why did it, why was it formed? <laughs> Great question. Well, uh, I've been, you know, I'm surrounded by materials from 67 years, 57 years ago when we formed AFN just around the corner here on 4th Avenue. And, uh, you know, Imulnadi's still here with us. He's 90, and uh, we visit occasionally. To me, he's like an icon because he was there. He was our host, you know. And at that point in time, uh, we were literally on the verge of losing complete control of our space, of all of Alaska. The state was about to take 100 million of those acres for no compensation, you know, and, and uh, Emil was in the right place at the right time as head of uh, Coquitlam Native Association. And he issued a, a little call. He sent 
a few letters, uh, mimeograph letters, if anybody remembers that way of communication, you know. And uh, he said, could you come down to, uh, to Anchorage, you know. And so we thought there might be 12 or 15 people. As it turns out, it was like the first statewide or territory-wide Alaska-wide gathering of Native people ever. And uh, I think we all just felt the, the pressure of potentially losing our space, you know. And of course, there were many, many other issues, but uh, it was uh, AFN was formed to try to represent uh, and take care of all Alaska Natives, you know. And uh, so it's been working to do that, you know, ever since October of 1966. And the reason we called it for October was because the election was going to be like two weeks away, mm. right? And we wanted to try to make a political impact because we knew that whatever we were going to do, it was going to have to take, you know, public policy changes, you know, in Alaska and in this country. So that's that's why we formed AFN. Thank you for that, Willie. Mm-hmm. And it's great to hear the history and learning stuff, you know, I've... You know, that's that's great. That's Thank you. Yes. And Bev, yeah. how has go ahead. How has AFN served uh, your tribal community? Well, we were involved from the beginning, although I was living in the lower 48, wandering around the United States <laughs> when I started hearing about um, the Federation of Natives. My father, uh, when Alaska became a state, was the first representative from our area and to be a native in the Alaska legislature at that time, Jimmy Hoffman, um, it was it was um, something else. And he was a part of Chalista in the very, very beginning yeah. of AFN and uh, Native corporations. And, and I'm following it, you know. I'm just a young kid, um, and now I'm in my 70s. I'm, I moved home in my early 20s, and we started hearing this and then getting television and having um, Ratnet and um, um, cover it on TV. And we're sitting out there watching Willie and Emil and standing up for Alaska Natives and standing up and being strong and finding our voice. And um, it was huge. You know, I tell people, we we used to be a quiet people, mm-hmm. uh, a lot quieter. But as... as um, we re- realized the importance of our culture, our land, and this way of life. And having an entity, a group, AFN, it just created this form, this floor, and it continues to do that. And uh, Liz, how does First Alaskans Institute and AFN work together in partnership, or how does that Share a little bit about that. Sure. Um, I guess I would correct something you stated earlier, though. I am definitely not a tribal leader. (laughs) I am Alaska Native, and I do work for a statewide Alaska Native um, nonprofit and foundation called First Alaskans Institute. And our roots come from AFN. Um, And Willie uh, and many of the other uh, leaders at the time um, worked collaboratively with the uh, pipeline um, in its early days uh, because they were kind of forced into a relationship (laughs) at the outset of the um, uh, Claims Act. And, um, you know, at the time the pipeline was um, uh, in agreement 
um, to build the pipeline that they would have 20% native hire for building the pipeline and then operations and maintenance. And um, they were able to meet that for building, but they couldn't meet it for operations and maintenance. Um, our Alaska Native leaders, including Willie, at the time, um, instead of taking this uh, issue to court, ended up resolving it between the owners of the pipeline um, and our Native community. And they created the AFN Foundation, which became the First Alaskans Foundation, which became First Alaskans Institute. So that's how we began as an institute. They're two totally separate bodies now. Um, and so we work in partnership with them on all kinds of different things. Um, one of them just ended yesterday. Um, the first week, everyone calls this uh, Native New Year or AFN Week. But in reality, the Elders and Youth Conference starts on Sunday and just ended yesterday. And then we hand it over to AFN so they can hold their convention. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Um, and Willie, I wanted to ask you um, how AFN supports tribes as they grow and can, can represent themselves more. Well, first let me say that uh, last night before I went to bed, I watched the first episode of uh, the Navajo Police Academy, which my daughter Priscilla was involved in. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> when I looked at you, I just, I just, I just saw window rock and ship rock in my mind. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm Navajo. I should say that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and going back to your question again. Just how can um, how can AFN continue to represent tribes oh. as it's changing oh. and growing? Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, I am an, an absolute believer in unity, um, and uh, AFN is a big tent. Always has been. In fact, from the beginning, you know, we had you could be an individual member, you can be an urban uh, native organization member, you could be a tribal member, you could be a, a regional nonprofit association member. So, you know, we invited everybody in, right? And so, and of course, that in itself creates issues, right? Because there are so many different uh, perspectives. But AFN has, I think, tried and it's modified itself over the years <coughs> to try to be a, a representative. Of, of all Alaska natives, right? Whether they're your know, corporate members, tribal members, uh, regional profit members, you know. So it's it's a huge challenge. But in my mind, you know, um, Alaska is huge, and it's very expensive to do anything. And you and you need to have a concentrated force in order to make your positions clear where where they need to be made, you know, whether it's on the statewide level, whether it's the national level, whether it's the actually international level. So uh, I think that, uh, uh, to me, we, we shouldn't be confused by whether or not it's a tribe or a corporation or a nonprofit. To me, they're all designed to try to help our people. And to me, the key is to find those areas of, of agreement and, and move forward, you know. And, and there is, like you said, you said unity, um, but there is conversations. Not everyone's going to agree on everything, oh, sure. and there is like some tension a lot. Yeah. So how how right now it right. includes fish, yeah. and that's a big, you know, <laughs> that's a big. Go ahead, go ahead, fish. yeah, go ahead, <laughs> Willie, and yeah, then we'll look, go down the line. <laughs> there has always been disagreement mm -hmm. because we had m many different groups in small small regions, big regions. Some really modernized, some very traditional. 
you know, all with different different concerns, but we work to resolve those <laughs> issues internally. And once in a while, we have had regions pull out in the past. It's nothing new. In fact, we almost split up into two statewide groups at one point in the in the 70s, you know. So, but I think usually reason prevails because, you know, if we get fractured and balkanized, <laughs> that diminishes our ability to represent uh, Alaska and Alaska Natives. And so, so that's why I, I believe it's, it's incumbent on us yeah. not, not to be, I mean, the, the tribes, the corporations, the non they're all white man's institutions, right? Somebody's idea of how we should organize ourselves, right? Did we have anything, uh, did we have any say in the creation of the IRA, the Indian Reorganization Act? No, right? And so to me, don't get confused about the institutions. Focus on those areas of agreement. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Go ahead, Beth. Yeah, you know, when I was a very young woman, and, and actually I just got on the Bethel Native Corporation Board a year ago after many, many years of being this activist, um, I was like, came across a, um, a news, news article in my 20s when we were in going to our corporation saying, look, you know, spread the wealth among the shareholders. Um, they set up corporations, uh, for-profit corporations, and the tribes. And, yeah, there is conflict, but I, just yesterday, listening to people talk, at this point in time, you know, we, there, there is um, some uncomfortable tension, I would say, between AFN and some tribes and some corporations. But at this day, at this time, it's really important to unify on common ground. And we talk about fish. We talk about the land and protecting um, the annual convention, our ways of life. That's, that's what we fight for. That's what we work towards. There's a lot of pressure on our tribes, on our corporations um, that take away from our way of life. And, and so... In my position, <clears throat> since I was a young woman, was was to be active, whether I was a um, board member, but as a shareholder, to be active for the common good of all of Alaska, protect the land, protect the water, protect the air. And so when I feel this uncomfortableness, I work extra hard trying to find ways to uh, that we can create dialogue to find that common ground of protecting this fabulous, this beautiful way of life that had been around for thousands of years. We count on the food. We count on the land and clean air. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And, and Liz, can you expand on how to bring concerns? And mm -hmm. so how, do, how can uh, people, communities work together to bridge all those gaps? You know, my grandfather, his name was Kanahay, Tommy Jackson Sr., uh, from from Kihkwan, uh, Cape Alaska. I asked him one time when I was um, when I was young, uh, you know, why do we use Robert's Rules of Order? <laughs> um, it's just, it's so different from the way that we usually communicate with each other. And and he said, you know, the point of Robert's Rules of Order is not. Um, what, how you see it happening now. Because I had been watching some things and I didn't understand why there was tension in the use of this, the way that people were kind of positioning themselves on opposite sides of an issue. 
Um, and it just didn't resonate with me based on how I saw our people actually dealing with conflict, which is totally different than how you see it in a Robert's Rules of Order type of forum. And um, he said, the point of Robert's Rules of Order um, is debate. Debate is what helps inform the people on how to make a decision. Um, today, in this day and age, we think that when two people have a conflict and idea, they need to be at war. Someone is right and someone is wrong. But in fact, the job of the two people who have a different posi positionality on a specific issue, their job in sharing information about why their issue is important, why their perspective matters, is because as they engage in that debate, they're informing the thousands of other people here, especially in AFN, who need to make a decision and make a vote. So mm -hmm. that debate is important. So when, when I think about what are the ways that we, just as human beings, let alone Alaska Natives, let alone people involved with AFN, the way that we have to be able to work through things is we have to keep talking to each other. Right. We may not always agree. And like Willie said, sometimes we have to take a break from each other. <laughs> and, you know, even in your personal mm -hmm. relationships, you get that. Um, but you keep talking, you know, and that's how you start working through those things that are pain points or conflict points. And, and yeah. Bev, you're, you're shaking your head. Go ahead. It's true. Um, when, I, when I got on the Bethel Native um, Corporation Board of Directors, um, somebody called point of order on me many times. <laughs> and that just resonated with me um, because I came on, my whole platform was be careful of um, big extraction projects on our lands and also um, a, a bigger share of the wealth uh, to to the people. And, and so I came in feeling, you know, I wanted to see changes. And as I've grown in the year, yes, I still want to see changes, but it's very important that... Um, I also work for the good of the corporation, the good of the tribe, and the good of the people. And when I feel conflict, I do sometimes have to pull back and and think about how I'm presenting what I'm trying to say. And I think that's going to happen this week here at AFN. I want people to think about what they're saying and how they're saying it and try to get that unified um, protect, protecting our ways of life. That's what w what we're doing, um, and and so it's it's really important at this stage when there's so much pressure on people wanting the use of our lands, the way of our waters to navigate to those lands, and so I just try to be mindful of we're all in this together. We might not agree. Um, AFN, though, brings us all together. Even if, if you pulled away, you'll see uh, <coughs> tribes and corporation, corporate leaders still coming to the venue. Yes, yes. And it, it leads into um, one of the things we had a chance, our producer Emily Schwing talked to Anna Hoffman, who is a co-chair of AFN, and she was talking about some of that stuff we're talking about right now, including um, tribes that are taking out their memberships from AFN. Um, like Willie said earlier, it's not a new thing, but um, they welcome those people back anytime and in the future. Let's hear what she has to say. The Alaska Native community is diverse. Um, 
We have over 200 tribes in Alaska. Um, we have uh, also over 200 village corporations. We have 12 regional corporations, 12 regional nonprofits. Um, and we're a diverse people. Uh, but I think that diversity really is our value. Uh, and AFN continues to be hopeful for full membership. Um, there's been times in the past where some organizations have um, taken a break from their participation with AFN. So this is actually not a new experience. Um, and we do hope that it will be at full membership here again in the future, and we're, we're always working towards that. Um, the, there are times where there's uh, disagreement, uh, and, and we're not um, insensitive to that. In fact, we, we try to be very sensitive to it, and we're trying continually to improve our systems internally at the organization to be responsive to that and to improve ourselves for future engagement. And that's, that's what we continue to yearn for, is engagement by all of our areas of Alaska, because that really makes our um, organization function better. And that was Anna Hoffman, the co-chair of AFN. Um, Willie, I want to go to you, um, get your thoughts on what she just had to say. <clears throat> and, uh, well, but also there's a side that she's not mentioning, and that is, I mean, AFN can't solve all the problems. That's true. You know, and there and there are times when maybe a region needs to say, "Hey, you know, um, they, there's, uh, you know, they might not be able to solve this problem, but we need them on this other one." You know, and so, so I, I think the, the leadership uh, of the constituency has to realize that, uh, you know, there are. I mean, the fish issue is a very, very complicated issue, very, very divisive mm-hmm. issue something that maybe AFN actually could actually do certain things in certain okay. arenas, certain parts yeah. of it, but, but to expect them to solve the problem, that's, that's too much, right? So that's my <clears throat> sense on that. So uh, uh, I think it goes both ways, you know. Uh, it's a very, very tough job. I mean, I've been there. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, you've got to try to balance all of these issues and, and put the effort and power in, into those areas that you really can make a difference, you know. Go ahead, Bev. Yeah, Anna is the CEO of Bethel Native Corporation, which I'm a part of. And and even when we have disagreements, she has this even keel about her. And I watched it last year here at AFN when our our people on the Kuskokwim <coughs> and in other areas were really concerned of what was happening um, in the fishing and ind- trawling industry. And it, it was real rough and... And my take on it was we have to have balance. We have to have to figure out problems. And AFN can't figure out all those problems. And I went to a couple of the folks from the Aleutians just saying, you know, you, we don't want to fish out the ocean or wreck the food source for salmon coming into the rivers. And it was really interesting having that dialogue. And I encourage even though I had a different opinion from the Aleutians, I encourage the dialogue. If you don't have that um, dialogue, like Anna said, you know, it doesn't solve the issue. And I think AFN is really important to allow that so people get mad and they pull out. But I think they'll be back because we just want to protect that balance. You're right. 
we, we can't become like the U.S. Congress. <laughs> <laughs> we, have, we have about a minute before our break, um, but go ahead, Liz. Anything to add to what Willie and Bev are talking about and just the importance of listening? And, yes, there are differences. There's going to be, you know, there always will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, a few redistricting boards ago, um, the chair of the board uh told the native community that was engaging in that process you know if if the native community could just get together and be unified on one map that would make our jobs easier (laughs) and i was like well yeah it would make your jobs easier but why are you putting a requirement on us to be a monolith when you don't require that of any other community Mm -hmm. so in the context of a broader world outside of the context of afn that that is not something that we're pushing on other people um I think it's the wisdom of our native people who seek to create a common ground, a forum where this kind of engagement can happen. Sorry, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm your host, Antonia Gonzalez, and we're at the Denina Center. It is AFN Week. Um, we're here at the for the Alaska Federation of Natives, and for decades the organization has represented Alaska Native communities across the state. And right before the break, um, we were talking about not only just how to solve to recognize that are, there are differences. And um, Liz, you were you were speaking about this right before our break. Go ahead. Yeah, so, you know, when I was um, stating earlier that um, there's this idea that we have to be a monolith, well, that's just not the facts. As Alaska Native people, we're incredibly diverse. And what I mean by that is not that we're the same kind of Native people and we have different dialects. No, we're completely different people completely different nation. So I'm as different to Willie as he's in Inupiaq and I'm Haida and Tlingat as I would be to a Seminole in Florida or um, an Apache in Arizona. Uh, we are not the same people. We come from completely distinct nations, lands, massive difference in geography and weather. All of those things have made us so unique. So we're not the same people. And so it's a pretty unique forum where you're bringing all of these nations together to try to find a pathway forward on the things they can work on together. But it's no substitute for a person's sovereignty or a tribe's sovereignty or a people's sovereignty or self-determination. Those things belong inherently to those people. And so you're creating a forum here where you're hoping to bring that together to find a way through on the issues that people actually can work on together. And anything to add, uh, Willie, about the diversity of Alaska Native people? Well, it, it's just it's just a reality. 
you know, and it, it, each area requires different things of, of them for their survival, you know, and they fight hard. It's, it's not, it's, <laughs> it's been going on for thousands of years. I mean, you know, everybody has to try to find ways to survive out there, and, and they d depend on different resources. Uh, they have different perspectives on, on subject matters that we deal with. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating organization because uh, we do try to focus on things that we can agree on, right? And uh, we try to minimize the internal uh, dissension if there's an, a problem that's just, you know, like specific to one region, right? So, uh, so it's amazing how we've uh, uh, accommodated uh, many, many different points of view. But uh, you'll hear a little bit, little bit more about it uh, when Nelson and I speak today at the event. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Beth. Yeah, and, and even on my river, Kaskokwim River, and on the coast, we have the Chupiks, Yupiks, <coughs> and Athabascans. And all very different on our river. Even um, the difference between the Yupik and Chupik language, there's differences. And, and, and what we eat. Mm -hmm. um, we're human beings first, and so because of that, um, uh, there sometimes is like disagreements, and we need to learn better how to solve those disagreements. Um, even though we are very diverse throughout Alaska, if I go up north, I feel welcomed. Mm -hmm. If I go to southeast, I feel welcomed. If they people come to our region in the YK Delta. We want to make them feel welcomed. And even though there's differences, we, we embrace that in a good way. It's sad, though, when those differences take that away. You know, there's contention, say, with fisheries or, or land use, for profit, mm -hmm. um, money, fish, gold, fish. You know, how do, how do you find a way through that? And sometimes it's really difficult um, when you have diverse thoughts on what's important. And, um, and I find myself in those positions, even with my own corporations and my tribe. My tribe is very strong on protecting the land, the water, the air, the food we eat. Um, it's more important than money. And, and so... It's working through those kind of things, and so you get that diversity throughout the state of Alaska, yet there's common things that we have to work on. Um, the economy, you know, we need money to buy things, and how do you do it in a way that you're still protecting the land and the water and, and get through all that human diversity? Well, thank you for that. And I wanted to go to another um, person that Emily Schwing, our producer, uh, interviewed this week. Uh, Richard Peterson is the president of the Central Council of Thinket and Haida Indians, Tribes of Alaska. And this that represents with 35,000 Alaska Native people in the southeast region. And his organization is one that withdrew membership from AFN. And let's hear what he has to say. Well, we just felt like it was something we could do on our own. And it felt like... Um, you know, maybe not wanting to be real critical, but I'm sitting there wondering if everything's in alignment with us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, oftentimes we have to sit at the table where there doesn't feel like a lot of alignment. 
And, you know, I think we're stronger together. And, you know, certainly that's probably the criticism I've heard of us pulling out. But the reality is we don't have to be a members of anything to stand with other tribes and, you know, and even at times with our corporations when it makes sense, right? But, um, yeah, so we've been building our capacity for years and continuing to do that. And, you know, we have a great legal team now. We have a strong governance department now. And we're really good at advocating and doing our own work, quite honestly. And that's uh, Richard Peterson, the president of the Central Council for Tinket and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. And Willie, go ahead. Your just response to what he was saying. Why are you calling on me? (laughs) (laughs) I'll just go down the line. (laughs) Well, let let me tell you. Okay. I have a completely different point of view. Yep, yep. You know, and I think uh, Mr. Peterson should look at history. I mean, his, his leadership, his elder leadership from the 60s, some of whom were quite young, were literally on bended knee asking to become a part of AFN and its legislation. And it was a very difficult decision. It was a tie vote. Evil Nadi broke the tie to include the Clinkett and Haida in the legislation uh, in spite of the fact that they already had a settlement out of the Court of Claims. Now, um, that, that decision, I could have stopped it, Evil could have stopped it. And it was divisive because we knew that they had 20,000 people down there. They had like 20% of the native population. And whatever we get, if we got anything, they were going to get 20% of the land and 20% of the money on top of what they already got. You know? And so, for unity's sake, we said, come on in. Let's fight together. And in my opinion, that was about a $2 billion decision. $2 billion. Mm-hmm. And if you want me to show you how it was done i can show you that but so the way i look at it there's this notion of reciprocity in the clinket culture and to me they owe afn they should be their shoulder to the wheel with afn because afn helped bring them what they have received out of the land claim settlement no way would they have ever gotten 300,000 acres because Congress was going to not, not let them invade the Tongas unless it's part of a bigger deal. So that 300,000 acres they got is valuable land. You know, it's good land. We're happy they got that land. So that's my point of view. Bev, go ahead. You know, to have that history um, is so, and so important. And the fact that we are stronger together, even though my tribe and my, my corporations have different views on things, we're still stronger together um, as we deal with a lot, of, uh, a, a lot of things like, for example, Canadian companies coming in and wanting to, the, the big extraction projects, uh, Manchu, King Cross, um, Donlin, Ambler, Red Dog, you know, the... We're stronger together in making sure our land is taken care of. So I, I was upstairs, downstairs yesterday with the two different sessions with the same agenda. And it, and it was really, it made me kind of cringe. And I, I just kept asking, why are we upstairs, downstairs? And, and, and it really bothered me. I appreciated both 
um, answers that I got. You know, I understand um, that out of frustration, well, we're pulling out. We're not going to be here. Well, I hope you come back. Um, Just on that alone, the history that we were in it together, even though it was divisive back then, we're still in it together to protect this land, the way of life, the people, the dance. Um, Some of us that are old enough, like myself now, I lived in a time where you weren't allowed to speak the language, you weren't allowed to dance, and to have um, Anilka as, as much as I have issues with the way corporate world was set up, it wasn't part of our culture. Um, it still gave us a strong voice having AFN and tribes, corporations, that we're part of this big group. So um, Richard and other folks, even Chalista Corporation, we, are we in or are we out last year? And at the last minute, they paid their dues. <sighs> yeah. You know? Thank, it's like, thankfully. please already. Let's, let's work on common common ground as we move forward. So, Liz, maybe ideas for reuniting, even though maybe even fish is a big divider, but can it bring communities together again? Mm. I don't think that the communities are apart. I think that AFN is a forum. It's a membership forum. And so I think we need to, like Willie was saying earlier, remember that these structures are structures. They're not actually the people, right? Our community is still together, like Bev was saying. We still go to each other's regions. We still go to each other's homelands. We're still together. I think one of the things that, um, you know, we uh, are in the process of doing as a whole community is this whole journey of, um, of intergenerational growth, and the, the distinct relationships between all of these different entities and their positions on things is transforming. What will it be like in 50 years? What will it be like in 100 years? Where we are today, there's some growth happening. Something is happening. You know, um, I think about my, grand, my, um, my nieces and nephews when they're little and they're growing, their bones ache their bones ache and you have to rub their bones you know because they're growing they're growing too fast or something you know they're they're experiencing what it feels like to grow with growth with transition with transformation things shift um and as they shift you're moving towards something so while it might be uncomfortable in a moment and this is a moment things are going to shift and change and transform that's the journey that we're on as a people and it's reflected in our institutions and it's reflected in the way that we're showing up. The advocacy of our people is still the same. There has been no change in wanting the best for our people. There has been no change in wanting to protect our ways of life. These things are ancient. Those things have not changed. Um, and so we can get a little bit too like microscopic and think that, oh my God, But at the same time, you have to bring yourself back up and say, okay, this is like the vision of First Alaskans Institute, progress for the next 10,000 years. We are on a long journey. Mm -hmm. And the way that we have to um, move through that is to remember to be good relatives. And like I said earlier, sometimes 
sometimes we're not in the best uh, place with our relatives. <laughs> and we just have to, we're not going anywhere. We're the, we're yeah. the native people of this land. This yeah. is our responsibility. And that's a good um, lead into our next clip from Anna, who again is the AFN co-chair and talking about the future. What is that like? She spoke with our producer, Emily Schwing. So what is the future of AFN look like? Well, the Alaska Federation of Natives um, was organized by 17 um, entities in the beginning. And now we have, you know, hundreds of members. Um, so the, the, there's beauty in that. Um, and I have so much gratitude to the founders um, that brought our Alaska Native people together in the state. And they've created this organization that hosts the largest gathering of Native people in North America. And that has power. And I think the Alaska Federation of Natives continues to be a prominent voice to bring Alaska Native issues forward. And it will be, I think, for the next number of decades to come. Um, and I, I think that is going to continue to get stronger. Um, you know, we're coming out of a period of uh, global pandemic in the last last recent years. Um, there were two digital conventions. Um, last year was the first in-person convention. And the ability to gather together and support one another um, to, to reconnect um, and then go back and continue the work throughout the year, I think the value is, will continue to be there in our gathering for decades to come. And again, that was uh, Anna Hoffman, uh, co-chair. And Willie, I'm going to call on you first again. So <laughs> what's the future look like oh, for AFN? You know, I mean, I, I, I think about life out in the villages every day, you know. Um, and, of course, for those of us who got involved, you know, it was what motivated us to try to make positive changes to make life easier and better, to provide programs and services. And so I think that's, that, that's AFN, AFN's role, and there's always going to be a need for it, you know. And um, when, I, when I went home to Katsavu this summer, um, I went to the store, and I could not believe one loaf of Dave's bread was 18 Let's see, fifteen dollars, I think. Fifteen dollars for a loaf of bread, and that's in Kotzebue. It's not out in a village, you know. So going back to what you were saying about, uh, yeah, we depend on hunting, fishing, trapping still, but you know, we have bills that in my day we didn't have. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have the uh, the bills. We didn't have garbage collection. We didn't have electricity. You know, we didn't have big outboards. Uh, I remember when we got five horses, that was big power. Big power. You know, and, uh, and so and we got the internet now, you know, uh, and uh, we have all kinds of, uh, we have mortgages, which we didn't have. And so, I mean, the pressure really is on, and I worry about the future. I worry about the future because it, it, ta- it takes money to be on subsistence now. You know, and so we have to balance, you know, our thinking. How do we, how do we, how do we keep people gainfully employed so they could provide for their people? And that, to me, is a big challenge for the future. But I'm, but I'm optimistic about it because our people are resilient. You know. Yes. Very. Go. Go ahead, Bev. Yeah. You know, I, I live out there. I live out in Bethel, and somehow I have been able to make a wonderful life because of. 
my ability to fish, um, to get moose, birds, berries, grow potatoes, um, really live, uh, gather wood, because my, my wood stove is still an old-fashioned oven wood stove. And that's what I have. So I have to be able to know how to survive. I've taught my kids. I, now that I'm in my 70s, I had to bring them home. I need help cutting wood. They both came home, and we've taught them how to live out there. And he's right about expense. That's why I make a loaf of bread every week, a saliak and whatnot. You have to learn how to survive there, but you also have to have the money to pay for oil. I just bought 200 gallons of oil with my PFD. It was $1,300, and that was with my Chalista discount. So what is there? So the future is you need to know how to survive in the city. Your roots are in your communities where you're from, and you need to know how to survive out there. Internet and cell phones and all of this has changed. Everybody has an opinion, and they put it out there. (laughs) And they, you know, my, and I share my opinion a lot on my Facebook page, um, to the chagrin of, a lot of my family, um, my kids will call me on some things, but you need you need to feel that you're leaving this world as we're aging. I know my time on planet Earth is this long. You need to have that hope, and sometimes that's really hard when you look at this day and age, and that's why it was really important for me to step up and say, I'm running for the corporation because I want dialogue and I want change. I want a future that feels good to um, people's grandchildren and their children, that there's still hope that they will have fish. And that's what I want AFN, my corporation, my tribe working on. I love my tribe. They bring me fish, moose, birds, uh, the two elders. And, and and services, <clears throat> and that's important. And I want that to continue. I want our corporate leaders to share more of the wealth. And, yeah, I have hope, yet I, I do fret. I'm a fretter. And, Liz, looking at the future, what about the youth and youth leadership? And I'm so inspired. Every year I come, and I I like AFM, but I love Elders Mm -hmm. and Youth Conference. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love the youth. I love talking to youth and and elders, too. But looking at the future and and youth leadership. Yeah. You know, what we hear from our young people is they want to be who they are as Native people. They want more access to culture. They want more access to language. They don't want it to be my second language. They want it to be their first language again. Uh, They want to know how to put up food. They want to know how to cut fish. Um, And more than that, they want to know how to operationalize and live our values every day with each other. I see them striving to actually implement those things in their life even as young people in their teens and it's powerful imagine I think about like when I was a kid being native was something that um, you know people really tried to shame you about it was horrible Um, and unfortunately we still have those issues today but today our kids are like no 
being native is our superpower. And um, the things that they're going to be able to do because our older leaders, our ancestors, our elders, our past leaders laid a foundation, a floor. Now, they don't expect them to stay at that floor. They expect them to next level it, you know. And, and that's a tension between generations, you know. On one hand, they want to make things easier for their kids. But when their kids have something easier, they're like, you didn't work hard enough for that. You know, that's a tension in any generation. But our kids are going to be able to take the bandwidth that their ancestors and their elders created for them. That they didn't, they didn't get to experience bandwidth. They were just surviving. Yeah. But our kids today, they're getting a different place to start. And they're going to take us in a completely different, like, trajectory because of that. And that's what I see happening. I feel it at Elders and Youth. Um, and Elders and Youth reflects what's happening in the regions. We have um, a number of regions who have their own Elders and Youth convenings. All of them have culture camps. And that's what they want, you know, an AFA, um, uh uh, AFN, um, FAI, our native organizations across the board, our for-profits, our non-profits, everyone's offering culture classes and workshops all year long now, not just one, uh, one week in the summer at the culture camp. So this is where our children are entering the world. This is their normal. Mm-hmm. So what are they going to do with that? It's going to be mind-blowing. Go ahead, yeah. Bev. I was at an AFN convention when uh, Jody Potts' daughter, Guana, mm. um, was a young teenager. And she was such a force demanding change and, um, and worried about the climate. And I thought, yes, <laughs> yes, there are our leaders coming up. And to see her on the national platform speaking out for indigenous people and the climate um, that gave me such hope and when my kids question me I love it like I love when they challenge me uh, and have a difference of opinion most of the time we're like-minded but um, these these young people from Bethel that are dancing in front of us right now you know they're a part of that change. They're part of my tribe. But they're from all different regions. And they give me hope uh, for the future. And Willie, your thoughts on youth and youth leadership? And well, Actually, my mind was on that subject before you mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I just remember, you know, at, at one point, we were youth. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I remember so distinctly being so young and so inexperienced and still, you know, trying to have a voice, you know, and whether people, would people listen, you know, especially after being away to boarding school and college and stuff, you know. But the, the truth is that, you know, people gave us a chance uh, to do something to try to help uh, our situation. And, and I think... W- uh, that's why I think there's there's tremendous human potential in, in the Native community, you know. And uh, one of the, oddly enough, one of the people that realized that was uh, an, a white guy <laughs> back in 1969 or so, Elmer Rasmussen, who was head of the National Bank of Alaska and, and also Ras- you know, the founder of the Rasmussen uh, Foundation. I mean, he was a, a son of missionaries. But he specifically spoke about the greatest resource that he 
saw in Alaska, and that was the native people. And, and I, well, I went back and looked at that, and I was really amazed. And it's true, because we have creative people, you know, we have lots of energy, we have we have tools and institutions that we didn't have back then, you know. So, so I'm actually optimistic, in spite of the fact that it's not going to be easy, because there's some real challenges ahead. It it never's been easy. <coughs> it never and it wasn't easy when you were young. Nope, nope. And and just that it's not going to be easy for them, and and yet you know you the thing I want to encourage our tribes, our people in all of Alaska, get trained up, mm-hmm. learn how mm-hmm. to survive, mm-hmm. not only in this um, in cities and in your communities. Um, parents need to impress upon their kids their a good work work ethic to survive, whether it's out hunting or in the city you need to know um, to be good workers be good mm-hmm, stewards mm-hmm, of the land mm-hmm. um, and to to be good human beings Hilda. we just see so much um, so much out there that is scary and we need our kids to be strong and be brave um, as they encounter all that get them ready thank you thank you for that and um our, our time here went by really fast, so we're out of time. But oh I want to thank all of our guests. Thank you so much, Willie Hensley, Elizabeth Medicine Crow, and Bev Hoffman. You've been listening to Alaska's Native Voice. I'm your host, Antonia Gonzalez. Thank you to our producer, Emily Schwing. And happy AFN week. <laughs> happy yes. Native New Year. Yes, thank you again for joining us this yeah. morning. Okay, Guyana. Guyana. The AFN Newscast is produced by KMBA and Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with support from the Atwood Foundation, ConocoPhillips, Manilik Association, South Central Foundation, Chalista Corporation, Rasmussen Foundation, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Donlin Gold, the Siri Foundation, and ExxonMobil. This is a production of KMBA, Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, and Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Service.